BudsTireProsTN.com. FN.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-host is District Attorney General Jennings Jones. We appreciate WGNS providing the airtime. We thank our producer, Nick Cohn. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Today, in our Inside the Court segment, General Jones will tell you about recent and upcoming grand jury general sessions, and circuit court activity. On our Call to Conviction segment, we will review a case that sent shockwaves through the community of Rutherford County, Tennessee. It was the murder of 26-year-old Caitlin Irvin. Caitlin Irvin was the daughter of Rutherford County Commissioner Steve Irvin. With us today to discuss this crime will be the lead investigator on the case, Detective Steve Craig of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. And in our What's the Law segment, District Attorney General Jennings Jones will discuss some of the newly enacted Tennessee laws and how those laws might affect you. We will begin the broadcast after you listen to these important messages. Hi, this is Dan Mitchell at Music World and Drummer's Den, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We have an excellent sound room with good acoustics. If you want to try on any guitar in the store, if you've got a perfect place to listen to it, compare them side by side, see how the neck feels to your hand, which is important to a guitar player. We have keyboards to play, a room in the back for drums to give a run through with cymbals, snares, whole sets. Come in Music World and Drummer's Den and try out before you buy it. Music World and Drummer's Den. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands, and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner, and we salute our veterans. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney, Jennings Jones, and in this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you inside the courts. 
We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and, of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. On January 14, 2017, Robert Jesse Mount went to a residence in Cannon County, Tennessee for the purpose of committing a home invasion. Mount kicked in a side door and proceeded to take items from the residence. During the course of the burglary, David Wooten, Elizabeth Clement, and Laura Jastry arrived at, a ho- at the house in a car driven by Mr. Wooten and interrupted Robert Mount. All three knew Robert Mount, and Mount was able to walk up to the vehicle to speak, them, speak with them without causing alarm. Mount approached the vehicle and opened fire with a 22 caliber pistol. David Wooten was struck multiple times and died from his injuries still inside the vehicle. Laura Jastry and Elizabeth Clement fled the vehicle and ran into the house pursued by Robert Mount. As they ran, Mount followed them and shot Miss Jastry. The two women attempted to hide in a bathroom, but Mount forced his way in where he shot Elizabeth Clement in the head. Mount then struck Miss Jastry in the head, presumably with the butt of the pistol. Mount then used a sharp sharp object, believed to be a box cutter, to brutally attack Miss Jastry, who sustained multiple serious cuts to her face, neck, hands, and legs. Mount left the two women for dead and fled to Smyrna. Approximately 40 minutes later, the homeowner and a close friend of David Wooten returned to his residence and found the victims. He immediately called 911 and emergency services were dispatched to the scene. David Wooten was declared dead at the scene, and Laura Jastry and Elizabeth Clement were transported to Vanderbilt Hospital, where Miss Clement died from her injuries shortly after arriving. Laura Jastry survived her attack and identified Robert Jesse Mount as her attacker. Special Agent Bobby Simmons of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation was assigned as the lead investigator on the case. Agent Simmons and others collected evidence from the scene of the crime, including a sample of blood obtained from the doorknob. Other witnesses came forward and notified the TBI that Mount had been seen at Stonecrest Hospital in Smyrna, Tennessee in the late night, early morning hours after the murder. One witness took his picture due to the bizarre behavior that he displayed. The picture shows Mount with a cut on his right hand and a severe cut to his right leg. A search warrant was obtained for the Robert Mount residence. Agent Simmons located Mount hiding underneath a set of stairs in the garage of the residence, and Mount was taken into custody. During the course of searching Mount's residence and truck, law enforcement found blood. The blood was later confirmed by the TBI as belonging to Miss Laura Jastry. Shoes belonging to Mount were also tested, and the blood of both Miss Clement and Miss Jastry were found on his shoes. The blood recovered from the doorknob at the scene of the crime was confirmed by TBI to have come from Robert Mount. At the conclusion of the investigation, Robert Jesse Mount was charged with the first-degree murders of David Wooten and Elizabeth Clement and the attempted first-degree murder of Laura Jastry. Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch was assigned as lead prosecutor on the case, along with Assistant District Attorney Matt Westmoreland. Mount was originally represented by Mr. Guy Dotson, Jr. After Mr. Dotson's passing, Mr. Paul Bruno and Mr. Michael Hibden took up representation of Mr. Mount. On August the 11th of 2021, Robert Jesse Mount entered pleas of guilty to two counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted first-degree murder. 
The defendant was sentenced by Chancellor Howard Wilson to life in prison for the murder of Wooten and Clement, and 25 years for the attempted murder of Laura Jastry. Mount was ordered to serve his sentence in the custody of the Tennessee Department of Corrections and will not be eligible for parole for 51 years, at which time Robert Mount will be 88 years old. Present at the time of the plea were members of all three families of the victim, as well as Miss Laura Jastry. The district attorney's office wishes to express their thanks to Special Agent Bobby Simmons and all other members of law enforcement for their dedication to the investigation of this case and pursuit of justice for the victims and their families. <clears throat> On June 27th of 2018, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Old Las Casas Pike. Upon arrival, officers located Dylan Biddle Jr., who had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. Mr. Biddle later died from his injuries. Officers were also contacted about an unknown male that had been shot and was attempting to get into vehicles at Reeves Rogers Elementary School. That male was later identified as Albert Mustafa. Detective Doug Arrington was assigned as lead investigator. Multiple witnesses were interviewed and evidence from the scene was collected. Upon conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Mr. Mustafa went to a residence on Old Las Casas Pike with the intent to commit a robbery. Mr. Biddle was a guest at that residence when Mr. Mustafa entered. During the course of the attempted robbery, Mr. Biddle was shot and killed. Mr. Biddle was able to return fire and Mr. Mustafa sustained a gunshot wound as a result. Mr. Mustafa was charged with first-degree murder, aggravated robbery, employing a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and conspiracy to commit the above. Mr. Mustafa is represented by counsel, Mr. Thomas Parkerson, and is presently incarcerated and awaiting his next court date on September the 8th, 2021. On April the 30th of 2018, the Laverne Police Department responded to George Buchanan Drive in response to a shooting. Emergency personnel transported the victim, identified as a juvenile, to, a, to the Vanderbilt Hospital, where the victim later died from his injuries. The victim's younger siblings were present at the time of the shooting. Detective Hudgens from Laverne Police Department was assigned as lead investigator. It was determined that the victim was attempting to buy a cell phone that had been advertised on social media. At the conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Brian Berry and Marquise Hughes lured the victim to that location with the intent to rob them. During the course of the robbery, either Berry or Hughes shot the victim. The defendants have been indicted for first-degree murder, aggravated robbery, and conspiracy to commit the above. Barry is represented by counsel Mr. John Slager. Marquise Hughes is represented by Mr. Ben Wetzel. The state is represented by Mr. Trevor Lynch. And this matter is set for trial beginning January the 24th of 2022. On May 16, 2017, the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to reports of multiple gunshots in the area of Gateway Apartments. Witnesses reported seeing a black male fleeing the area on foot. Additionally, a gunshot victim, Kendrick Love, was located in front of one of the apartment buildings. Mr. Love later died from the injuries he sustained in that event. Witnesses on the scene established that the victim went to meet an individual for the purposes of selling marijuana. Additional witnesses identified the individual as Tayshawn Patterson, who matched the description of the male seen running on foot just after the shooting. 
Detective Doug Arrington with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as lead investigator. At the conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Mr. Patterson went to the alleged marijuana deal, armed with a firearm, and had the intent to rob the victim. Mr. Patterson has been charged with first-degree murder and attempted aggravated robbery. He is represented by Mr. Kyle Parks. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This matter is set for trial to begin February the 22nd of 2022. On March 31st of 2019, the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence on Sunset Avenue. Once inside, officers discovered the body of Judith Montmire. Mrs. Montmire had been stabbed multiple times, resulting in her death. Upon conclusion of the investigation, lead, in <coughs> pardon me, lead investigator Murfreesboro Detective Jacob Fountain charged Martin Montmire with the first-degree murder of his wife, Mr. Montmire appeared before the General Sessions Court in Rutherford County, and following a preliminary hearing, the court bound the matter over for the, to be presented to the grand jury. In November of 2019, the grand jury of Rutherford County returned a true bill against Mr. Montmire for first-degree murder. This case has been delayed as a result of a series of evaluations in the COVID-19 pandemic. Mr. Montmire appeared before the Circuit Court of Rutherford County on April 16th of this year. Mr. Montmire is represented by counsel, Mr. Ben Wetzel, and remains in custody awaiting trial to begin May 9th, 2022. On October the 24th, 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting that occurred at the intersection of North Tennessee Boulevard and Stonewall Boulevard. Officers discovered the body of Mr. Blake Bolton, who was the victim of two gunshot wounds. Mr. Bolton died of injuries he sustained in the shooting. Detective Albert Miles was assigned as lead investigator. Detective Miles with the Murfreesboro Police Department has charged Mr. Gilliam with first-degree murder of Mr. Bolton. Following a preliminary hearing on March 23rd of this year, the case was bound over to the grand jury. Mr. Gilliam remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center awaiting presentment to the grand jury. Mr. Gilliam is represented by counsel, public defender J.D. Driver. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On February the 6th of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting resulting in the death of 21-year-old Giovanni Gillis at a residence on Ewing Boulevard. Detective Cody Thomas, Murfreesboro Police Department, has been assigned as lead investigator. Upon conclusion of Detective Thomas's investigation, Larry Johnson II has been charged with first-degree murder. Following a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court on May 5th of this year, the case was bound over for presentment to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. Mr. Johnson is represented by counsel, Mr. Michael Flanagan, and currently remains in custody at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On December the 8th of 2016, Murfreesboro Police located the body of Francisca Gomez Cordero in a wooded area off of Elam Road. Francisca Gomez Cordero was an Hispanic female. Based upon their investigation, Murfreesboro detectives have now filed charges against Romulo Hernandez Mayorga. Mayorga has thus far eluded capture. If you have information regarding this case or the whereabouts of Romulo Hernandez Mayorga, please contact Detective Doug Arrington of the Murfreesboro Police Department. 
The phone number to call is 615-893-1311. That number again, 615-893-1311. And that will conclude today's look inside the courts. The Doug Young Educator of the Month from News Radio, WGNS and City Tile and Floor Covering spotlights Miranda Good, a second and third grade behavior teacher at Mitchell Nielsen School. I decided to become a teacher when my son was in kindergarten and I realized how important it is for students to have a teacher who believes in their potential regardless of their behavior or academic struggles. The most rewarding thing about being a teacher is watching students grow academically and emotionally. When they grow to become confident in themselves and are able to reach their potential. Their whole outlook on school changes for the better. Miranda, what achievements are you most proud of? Working with an amazing group of educators and support staff to organize the best program at Mitchell Nielsen and recently earning my master's degree in educational leadership through WGU. Before I retire, I'd like to become a special education coach or an assistant principal. Miranda Good, a second and third grade behavior teacher at Mitchell Nielsen School, is the Doug Young Educator of the Month, sponsored by City Tile and Floor Covering on Spring Street. I happened to glance up, and the clear sky was gone. Coast to coast, all night, every night. All I could see was something round and black. On WGNS, AM, FM, online. From call to conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. On the afternoon of February the 27th, 2018, at 4.43 p.m., Rutherford County Commissioner Steve Irvin called the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. The purpose of his call was to report that his home had been burglarized. When the Sheriff's Department arrived, they observed that the home had been completely ransacked. Commissioner Irvin reported that several items were taken from the residence, including two firearms. Other items taken included jewelry, a Rolex watch, an iPad, a TV, and a safe. The largest item taken was a car, a gray Ford Fiesta. But the most important aspect of the case was that a family member was missing, and that family member may have been in the home when the burglary occurred. That family member was 26-year-old Caitlin Irvin. The Irvin residence was equipped with video surveillance. When law enforcement viewed the video, they discovered that the Irvin's Ford Fiesta had left the residence at 2.15 p.m. that day. Numerous and frantic efforts were made to reach Caitlin Irvin by calling her cell phone, but every attempt was unsuccessful. The Rutherford County Sheriff's Office investigation team, which was led by Detective Sergeant Steve Craig, continued to process evidence and follow the leads. Then, six days after the burglary, on March the 5th, 2018, a major and tragic discovery in the case came to light. The murdered body of Caitlin Irvin was found in a smokehouse in a rural area of Rutherford County. The next day, March the 6th, 2018, 
medical examiner David Zimmerman performed an autopsy on the body of Caitlin Irvin. Dr. Zimmerman determined that Caitlin Irvin's cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head. Because of the circumstances, Dr. Zimmerman also collected a rape kit, which was delivered to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation Crime Laboratory for processing and DNA analysis. From all of the interviews and processing of evidence, a suspect was developed. That suspect was 38-year-old Ellis Bell III. Over the next 300-plus days, Detective Sergeant Steve Craig and his team continued to investigate every aspect of the case. After multiple meetings reviewing his case with Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman, Craig was ready to present his evidence to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. When we return, we will tell you more about the murder of Caitlin Irvin and the arrest and prosecution of Ellis Bell III. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. United States Army, 1967, and I got out in 1969. In this salute, we talk to a veteran who fought in the Vietnam War. My base pay was $81 when I went into the Army, and they said if you go to jump school and jump out of the airplanes, we'll pay you an additional $55. I said, wow, that's what I chose to do. We're talking with Russell Ashton. Of course, it was a lot of good training. I mean, we're talking about getting physically fit. And I'm sure boot camp was a whole lot different back then then compared to today. Oh, it's a different world. It sure is. You're a veteran who served during a wartime. The average citizen, I don't think they understand what that means. I don't think they understand what things you may have seen. And it's hard to even comprehend when you start to think about it. That's right. I just I think about it all the time. No one has ever looked through my eyes and no one has ever worn my boots. I guess that's hard for other people to understand. People here in the great America don't have a clue what's going on in the world. They're just standing around in the dark in broad open daylight. What was life like after you got out of Vietnam and came back home? I immediately went to work due to the fact of how my parents raised me up. I thank God every day for the way that my mother and father raised me up. This has been a Salute to Veterans on WGNS Radio. Join me, America's career coach Ken Coleman, weekdays live at noon here on News Radio WGNS for practical advice to help you discover the work you were born to do. In January of 2019, Detective Steve Craig presented his evidence against Ellis Bell III to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. The Grand Jury indicted Ellis Bell on numerous felony charges related to the kidnapping, rape, and murder of 26-year-old Caitlin Irvin. Due to conflicts of interest, specifically that Caitlin Irvin's father was the director of the Rutherford County Probation and Recovery Services Program, and that he was also a county commissioner. 
all of the Rutherford County Circuit Court judges recuse themselves from the case. To further avoid any conflict of interest, the bail case was assigned to Judge Brody Kane of Lebanon, Tennessee. It was also determined that all of the legal proceedings would remain in Rutherford County, with Judge Kane traveling to Murfreesboro to preside over the case as a special judge. The defendant was represented by Rutherford County Public Defender Gerald Melton and Assistant Public Defender Ben Wetzel. The state was represented by Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman. On February the 28th, 2020, Judge Brody Kane scheduled the trial of Ellis Bell III. It was scheduled to begin on January the 25th, 2021. But before that date arrived, tragedy once again struck the Irvin family. On April the 9th, 2020, Caitlin Irvin's father, Steve Irvin, passed away at the age of 66. His wife, Deborah, related that her husband had died of a broken heart. Due to various legal procedures and significant delays that were caused by the COVID-19 virus outbreak, the court proceedings moved slowly. In September of 2020, Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman retired from the Rutherford County District Attorney's Office. The murder case of Ellis Bell III was then reassigned to Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On Thursday, May the 6th, 2021, with the COVID pandemic in recession, Ellis Bell III appeared in the courtroom of Special Judge Brody Kane. Bell had decided not to go to trial and chose instead to enter a negotiated plea agreement. With the mother of Caitlin Irvin present in the courtroom, Ellis Bell III pled guilty to the reduced charge of second-degree murder for the brutal execution-style killing of Caitlin Irvin. Bell also entered a no-contest plea for the rape of Caitlin Irvin. Pursuant to the plea agreement, Judge Kane sentenced Ellis Bell III to serve 40 years in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. In the studio today, to tell us more about the murder of Caitlin Irvin and the arrest and successful prosecution of Ellis Bell III, is Detective Sergeant Steve Craig of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Detective Craig, we appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Before we delve into the case itself, I would like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where were you educated, and what your duties are now, and especially what motivated you to choose law enforcement as your profession. Thank you for having me. Um, where I grew up is um, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is where I was born. We moved to Middle Tennessee when I was about six years old. We have lived in Middle Tennessee. I grew up in Nashville, and I ended up graduating high school from Brentwood High School. And uh, I'm still working on my bachelor's degree. 
my duties now include being a weekend shift sergeant for the criminal investigation division at the RCSO. I supervise uh, five younger detectives that they're really sharp. They work really hard every weekend. They do a phenomenal job for the citizens here. And to let you know how green I was, I guess, when I started, what I wanted to do is I wanted to help change the world for the better when I started in law enforcement. I think I've scaled it back a little bit now and just maybe if I can change the world for the better for one family at a time, I think, you know, I'll call that a success. Detective Craig, my summary was quite brief, but I would like to ask you a series of questions that are designed to tell us more about the investigation of the kidnapping and murder of Caitlin Irvin and the arrest and conviction of Ellis Bell III. First of all, who were some of the Rutherford County Sheriff's officers who were involved in this investigation, and what roles did they play in bringing Ellis Bell III to justice? There were multiple detectives involved, uh, multiple agencies involved. Derek McCullough was uh, my partner throughout the whole crime. We had Detective Kohler, Detective Fields, Detective Brinkley help process the crime scenes, Detective Huggins, uh, Special Agent Anderson from the TBI now, he, he helped out a lot. Detective Payne, Detective Downing, I'm sure I'm, I'm missing some people along the way, but I know this was a, a big team effort where everybody did a lot of interviews, did a lot of crime scene processing sketches. Everybody pulled their weight, and, and it showed at the end of the, of the day on this one. My next question is, was there any relationship, either good or bad, that existed between Caitlin Irvin and Ellis Bell III, or was this a random act of violence this was completely random they didn't know each other at all um ellis bell would typically from what i learned throughout the investigation was he would use an app on his phone to try to find areas of town that had higher priced houses and that's how he would choose to pick his targets to burglarize so you know as as the investigation went on you learn more about what what his motives were and, and what his methods were and there there was no connection between the two of them at all several items were taken in this burglary were any of those items recovered and if so what role did those items play in building a case on ellis bell there were multiple items taken during the burglary um, uh, just to name a few a TV a holster for a weapon a weapon itself two weapons actually multiple pieces of jewelry and watches and what some of those things did was as we learned where he went from the time he burglarized the house until he was detained by law enforcement it almost left a, a, a trail for us to follow he, he left a couple of pieces at each place and we were able to end up recovering you know tv watches gun holster jewelry so all of those things ended up helping us you know lead to what the story was and what happened were there any other suspects that you either had to investigate or investigate and eliminate in this case there were a couple other suspects um they were all given to me initially by bell himself uh, however his story changed several times and you know we were able to do some do some background do some investigating and find out each person or other suspect that he gave wasn't uh didn't have anything to do with it 
they, they, were, they were not not involved at all. When we return, we will have even more information concerning the murder of Caitlin Irvin and the tri- the plea of Ellis Bell the Third. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Hey everyone, it's Jeff Gerstman from GiantBomb.com, and I'm here with the latest from the world of video games. A wave of summer announcements has washed over the video game industry, giving us a better look at some of the stuff we'll find in stores later this year. Nintendo already had one Metroid game in development, and the now-delayed Metroid Prime 4, but is making up for this with a new game set after the events of Metroid Fusion called Metroid Dread. This one's technically the fifth in that main storyline that goes all the way back to the original NES game, and it looks very exciting. Xbox owners will finally get some big games this year, assuming Halo Infinite makes it out after its year-long delay. The multiplayer side of the next Halo will be free, though with the success of Microsoft's Game Pass subscription service, smart players shouldn't be paying any additional fees for the story side of the game either. A new Forza Horizon game has also been announced, and this one is set in Mexico. It should be a pretty solid holiday season for video game fans, but as always, all this stuff is subject to further delays. For more news and reviews from the world of video games, find me at GiantBomb.com. Know your podcast with Simplecast. This is Soundbites, and I'm Jan Ziv. If you've got something to say, then go ahead and say it to the whole wide world with Simplecast. It's an all-in-one platform for independent podcasting that covers all the angles. At Simplecast.com, you'll get the whole story about how you can tell your story in words and sounds. Simplecast gives you turnkey management for your own personal podcast. You supply the program and Simplecast does the rest, distributing your material to the services where the listeners are. You'll be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you want to go. And when your work is out there, Simplecast will give you all the metrics you need to figure out who you're reaching. Simplecast was a pioneer in podcast platforming, and they're constantly adding new tools. See for yourself at simplecast.com. With Soundbites, I'm Jan Ziff for CBS News. Skies become mostly sunny here for this afternoon with a high in the mid-80s. Winds out of the southwest between 5 and 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 67. Good morning. It's busy, but it's still moving on 24 up through the Hickory Hollow area. Lots of radar out here this morning on 24 coming in from Coffee County. Just slow it down. Busy on 41 now between Laverne and Smyrna. Gatlinburg Wine Cellar, home of the world famous cotton candy wine. Check them out at GatlinburgWineCellar.com. I'm Commander Chug with your on-time traffic. Hi, I'm Wade Hayes, owner of Toots Good Food and Fun. I strongly believe that volunteers make a positive difference in the quality of life here in our community. Rutherford County Commissioner Chanto Serino is one of those people who wants to help others so much that it seems that he's involved in everything. Just a few of Chanto's areas of service are co-chairing the Salvation Army, the Rotary Club of Murfreesboro, Main Street Murfreesboro, Red Cross, Read to Succeed, and others. Thank you, Rutherford County Commissioner Chanto Serino. At Toots, we strongly believe that it's important for every one of our citizens to give some of their time and talent back into the community. And we want to honor these individuals with a Toots gift certificate good at any of our Rutherford County locations. 860 Northwest Broad Street, 
on Church Street in the Barfield area, in Smyrna on Sam Ridley, and Toots West on Franklin Road at Rucker Lane. The Action Line with Bart Walker, weekday mornings at 810. Ellis Bell III pled guilty to these horrible sets of crimes. Detective Craig, can you share with us any background information regarding the background of Ellis Bell III? Yes, he grew up in Laverne. Um, he had a history starting there with his crimes. He had multiple aggravated burglaries. There were some drug charges on his history, um, several gun charges, and he had just recently gotten out of prison on a gun charge before this happened. I just think a few months before this happened. Other jurisdictions, I know it stretched back into Williamson County, Davidson County, Rutherford County. And was there any specific time when you realized that, without any doubt, that Ellis Bell killed Caitlin Irvin? Yes, it, it would have been when we discovered and we had sent off to the TBI lab for the DNA from the vehicle and for the rape kit during the autopsy. And when his DNA came back on both, I, I knew that we had our guy. One of the most interesting things in this case was that Ellis Bell was apprehended by police within hours of this happening. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. After he he burglarized, kidnapped, raped, and murdered Caitlin, he went back to Nashville. He went to a friend's residence, and from there he unloaded some of the property that he had stolen from the residence, and I believe he was at another property and he was trying to trade or sell some of the property that he'd stolen, specifically the, the weapon. And during that time, Metro Police encountered him and they ended up arresting him, taking him into custody after he kind of fought and fled for a little bit. And we ended up learning of that just a couple of days later through the Metro Police Department. What was some of the evidence that unerringly pointed the finger of guilt at Ellis Bell? Well, there were multiple witnesses in the neighborhood that day. They took pictures of him walking around the neighborhood. There were uh, there was one other residence where he attempted to break in. We sent Detective Brinkley back to that residence to try to process that window where he attempted to break in, and we recovered his fingerprints from that window. Yeah, obviously the vehicle um, that he was in, he had the weapon that he'd stolen from the home that day, and we ended up recovering, you know, the property that I mentioned before, the TV, watches, jewelry, holster, all of that, and the DNA. Those were the main pieces of evidence, I believe. Detective Craig, can you kind of give us a summary of what you actually think happened based on the evidence that you collected that resulted in the death of Caitlin Irvin? Yes, I believe that the day that this all happened, it either either Caitlin had gotten home and he followed her inside of the house because he was already in the neighborhood or he was inside of the home and Caitlin walked in on him. And that's that's what happened as far as that part went. From there, he took her to the smokehouse where he killed her. And then 
he went back to Nashville, stopped by his friend's house, and then ended up being taken into custody by Metro a little bit later that night. According to the autopsy report, Miss Irvin died as a result of a gunshot wound to the head. Were you ever able to establish the caliber of the gun and how Ellis Bell obtained that firearm, and was that gun ever recovered? Yes, we were able to establish the caliber of the firearm. It was a 45 caliber firearm. We recovered the casing at the scene. We didn't ever recover that firearm, I believe. So after he left the smokehouse, he did go to a car wash and ended up cleaning and washing the car. I believe he got rid of the weapon that killed her there at the car wash. We didn't learn that until probably two weeks later, so we weren't able to recover that weapon um, as far as him obtaining the firearm, I would say he probably stole it or traded somebody else for it. He didn't obtain it legally because he had already been prosecuted for being a convicted felon in possession of a weapon. So, As I understand it, when you interviewed Ellis Bell, uh, he at some point gave you an alternate suspect and tried to involve someone else. Can you tell us about that? Yes, he actually gave multiple um suspects to to try to i guess send me on a wild goose chase so you know he's he's given especially when he's given street names like buki and squally and and that type you you have to work even harder to try to find out who he's talking about but several of the people that we could identify uh, they they completely came back with alibis with phone records that show that they were not in rutherford county at all that day or hadn't been in rutherford county in weeks so Everybody that, that he pointed to in the interviews, it was essentially a lie. And I'd say for the most part, his interviews produced mostly lies. But at least with the lies, I was able to go back and show that they were lies and be able to prove that. Were the phone records of the individuals, were they important in eliminating the suspects that Ellis Bell had gave you? Absolutely. They were able to definitively prove that they weren't even remotely close to that area or had anything to do, had any knowledge of Caitlin Irvin. So when he laid out the story saying that she knew all of these people, we were able to go prove that she didn't know any of them and they weren't near. Was there any evidence other than the eyewitnesses? And I understand that one thing that we want to cover, wasn't there an attempted burglary also that same morning or same day? Yes, there was. And, and the neighbors in the neighborhood took pictures and they were the ones that were able to let us know that that happened. And that's when we sent Detective Brinkley back to try to get fingerprints. And, and he was able to recover, a, I want to say, a whole palm print and fingerprints from that to match it to Ellis Bell to show that he was in the neighborhood that day to commit burglaries and then this is what happened as a result of it so do you believe that that attempted burglary occurred just the same day and shortly before the burglary of the Irvin residence yes absolutely we certainly do not want to forget about our victim caitlin Irvin. please tell us about caitlin Irvin. caitlin was described as being the um, joy and the entertainment of the family that, you know, after you work with a family for several years, you, you get bits and pieces of of what it's like to be a part of their family sometimes. And I would say the joy that she brought to that family is was what they miss the most about her presence being there all the time. She, she was just 
kind of the glue that held everything together from what I understand. And she had a large family. I mean, she had multiple siblings, her parents, um, you know, Steve and Debbie, and then the siblings, Erica, Meredith, Jason, Candace, and Tori. It's just a large family that they're just a very loving, faithful family. What can you tell us particularly about her mother and father? Well, Steve ended up being a county commissioner here, serving the community, and uh, before he passed. And, and Debbie, bless her, she, she's had to endure so much. And I'm not sure I've ever met a stronger woman than her. She's she's completely amazing. She's she's full of grace and, and full of love. And for her to go through what she's gone through, and then say in the impact statement what she said to ellis bell and she referenced that she prayed for him every day and be honest it brought a tear to my eye because i I don't know that i could be that that graceful in that moment one of the things that we want to mention before we conclude is that we did have a special judge judge brody kane and you had the privilege of appearing before him and i know that you and i both want to thank him for appearing and taking that case because of the conflicts of interest how do you think Brody Kane helped us in this case? I think that he came in and, and was able to obviously be impartial, but he made a, a very good ruling, I thought, at the end of everything when Ellis pled. I think they were they were counting on his time starting at that point, but he still had previous time to serve. And Judge Kane didn't think that the time should start until after he was done serving his other time. So he's got 40 years to serve, but it's probably going to be another year before he starts on that 40. He's going to have to finish the other time first. In your investigation, at any time, did you ever believe there was any reason to believe that Caitlin Irvin was able to defend herself during this episode? Not at all. Um, She she like i said she either walked in on it or he walked in on her she was completely taken by surprise and he had a weapon that he probably displayed to her fairly immediately i don't i don't think she had a chance at all to help herself in that detective this was a devastating case for the family no one expects to have to bury their daughter certainly no one expects their daughter to be kidnapped and murdered and then to have to relive the events by attending court proceedings and ensure being in the same courtroom mere feet from the person who killed your daughter. Tell us about the family's strength and how they found the courage to not only cooperate in the investigation, but to also attend the court proceedings and all of the events leading up to Ellis Bell III pleading guilty. I can't imagine what all they went through, Um, the sadness, the hurt, but they endured, they kept believing in faith they kept believing in justice and they kept believing in me and you know we got to where we needed to go um and i just i thank them for their patience and i I thank them for their belief in me detective craig we want to thank you and the other members of the rutherford county sheriff's office for the excellent work that was performed in bringing ellis bell the third to justice On air, online, and on the phone. You can listen to us anywhere. News Radio WGNS is Rutherford County's place to talk. As we end our program today, 
we want to thank our special guest from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office, Detective Steve Craig. We appreciate WGNS providing the airtime. And we thank our producer, Nick Cohn. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning, November the 5th at 8.10 a.m. on your Good Neighbor Station, WGNS. We leave by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my co-host Jennings Jones, this is Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro.